What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. We are all sensitive people. So much to give. Eight years ago at a concert in Zurich, Ed Sheeran sang that mashup of his Grammy-winning song, Thinking Out Loud, and Marvin Gaye's classic, Let's Get It On. Now Sheeran is in a Manhattan federal courtroom, fighting claims that he stole elements from Gaye's song. And the pop star defended himself with his guitar, playing and singing for the jury to prove that Thinking Out Loud was his own. My guest is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Katten Rosenman. Terry, what do the plaintiffs, the heirs of Gay's co-writer Ed Townsend, have to prove? So the plaintiff has to show that there was substantial similarity between Ed Sheeran's song, Thinking Out Loud, and the sheet music for the Marvin Gaye, Ed Townsend uh, written song, Let's Get It On. Now, this is a very important distinction. Let's Get It On is from 1973. The Copyright Act of 1976 obviously had not yet been enacted. And so Let's Get It On is under the old copyright regime. And under the 1909 Act, there was no copyright in recorded music or recorded sound in general. And so what a songwriter had to do in those days is prepare sheet music. Everybody hopefully remembers that from taking piano in elementary school. But they had to prepare sheet music and submit that to the Copyright Office. And so the copyright that was issued was strictly limited to the sheet music. And the sheet music is just a series of notes. It does not have the full impact of recorded sound with beats and rhythms. And the jury has to decide whether that relatively sparse sheet music was infringed, meaning whether or not Ed Sheeran's song, Thinking Out Loud, was substantially similar to that sheet music. And that is a big ask. So the jury is not, as a matter of law, allowed to compare the recorded song, Let's Get It On, with the recorded song by Ed Sheeran, Thinking Out Loud. Not allowed to do that. That would be improper. They're going to get a very careful instruction from the judge at the end of the case not to do that. The judge will give them a further instruction that says, all you get to do is compare the sheet music. What typically happens in these cases involving songs with older copyrights is that someone comes in with a little keyboard and they play strictly those notes that are on the sheet music. And take my word for it, as somebody who's been in the courtroom when this has happened, the effect of hearing a handful of notes played on a keyboard is so different from hearing the recorded music that it becomes very hard for a jury to then jump to the conclusion that that's the same as the recorded music. 
The plaintiffs are claiming that Sheeran deliberately and intentionally copied Gay's song, so not accidentally. Plaintiff's attorney Benjamin Crump said that Sheeran, quote, recognized the magic of Gay's song, and he had decided to capture a bit of that magic for his own benefit. Isn't that a big ask for the jury when Sheeran said he came up with the song after the death of his grandfather? It's substantially hyperbole, and the mistake that some trials make in buying into their own hyperbole is that they end up setting a very high bar of proof because the jury hears that statement. They think, oh, in order to find for the plaintiff here, I have to find that Ed Sheeran set out to intentionally and deliberately copy this specific song, which isn't necessarily the law here, but they now think that thanks to the plaintiff's opening. Here's what Sheeran said last year after winning an infringement trial in Britain over another one of his hits, Shape of You. There's only so many notes and very few chords used in pop music. Coincidence is bound to happen if 60,000 songs are being released every day on Spotify. That's 22 million songs a year, and there's only 12 notes that are available. Sheeran's defense seemed to be arguing something like that in this case. What do they have to prove? The core of the copyright infringement argument by the plaintiff is that both songs have a four-chord progression that ascends. Now, the second chord in that four-chord progression is slightly different. The argument that the defendant, it's Sharon's attorneys, have to make is that those chord progressions are very limited. And we all know there's only eight notes in the octave scale, right? But even when you combine those notes into chords, for different genres of music, there are limits on the number of chord progressions available to actually make it sound like what you want it to sound like. So in the pop music industry, there's actually very few chord progressions that are available. It's a little bit different from blues music, where you have a slightly larger range of chord progressions available. But again, it's finite. And the argument that has been made over the years is that where you have this finite group of notes and finite group of chord progressions, you can't allow any song or group of songs to, in effect, monopolize them by having gotten there first with their selection of notes and chord progressions. That's not what the Copyright Act is supposed to be about. It's supposed to protect unique expression and not merely the use of, as people often say, the building blocks of a pop song. And so I hope that explains it. That is the fundamental battle that has been going on, not only in this courtroom, but in numerous courtrooms for the last 15 to 20 years. On Thursday, Sheeran took the stand in his defense case and, from all accounts, did very well. He talked through the process by which he created Thinking Out Loud, the song at issue, and talked about it in incredible detail. And this is what was important to me. He remembered exactly what he was doing at the time. His collaborator, Amy Wadge, was in his apartment. He goes, I'm going to go take a shower. So he shower, came out. She was messing with some pop chords and putting them in different range. And he goes, hey, I think you got something there. And they started tinkering with it. And he remembers the process so distinctly that it lends credibility to his assertion that he didn't borrow this from any other artist. Second thing that was really interesting about his testimony was his comment that he works with Amy Wedge all the time. They're just really good at pulling up music quickly. He said that since they were both in New York City for this trial over the last four days, 
they'd written 10 songs back in the hotel room. I mean, which is just phenomenal. But the point that the defense was trying to make is this guy's just really talented and creative. He's a prolific singer-songwriter who doesn't need to steal from anybody else. And I thought that was very impactful. So when did Sharon whip out his guitar and start singing? His own lawyer started asking him about the testimony during the plaintiff's case from their expert, the University of Vermont professor who made the argument that both songs have a four-chord progression, although there is one difference in the four-chord ascending progression, specifically in the second chord, that it's a variant chord, that it's easily substituted and is not, therefore, meaningful. Ed Sheeran's own lawyer asked him about this, and he said, essentially, the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And he whipped out his guitar, which had been prepositioned behind <laughs> the witness stand um, before anybody had come into the courtroom. Nobody would know it was there. And once somebody like Ed Sheeran has a guitar in his hand, the plaintiff's attorney can get up and object as much as he wants. But that jury is going to resent it if he's not allowed to play. And so he started playing the song. And he played it two different ways. He played it with the chord progression of the actual song and then the chord progression from the Marvin Gaye song. It's in the very opening of the entire song. And the University of Vermont professor for the plaintiff admitted that the rest of the song is different. So they're only now fighting over this four-chord ascending progression. And he says to the jury, see how that doesn't work? It doesn't substitute in the way the University of Vermont professor was insisting it does. He said, do you hear how that works differently? And a number of the jurors started nodding their head, you know, as if in agreement. And that is very telling. And if there had been a settlement offer on the table from the defense, I would immediately, as plaintiff overnight, accepted that. But it just tells you, we've talked about this before, June, how challenging it is to bring a case against these mega celebrities like Katy Perry, Led Zeppelin, Taylor Swift, or here Ed Sheeran, because they come in the courtroom, and even if a juror didn't really know them, didn't, wasn't familiar, they see the hoopla that's going on at the courthouse. They know he's a big celebrity because of all the hoopla that they see going on. And then he plays guitar and sings to them. I mean, can you imagine going back in the jury room then and voting against this guy who's <laughs> got a sort of really cute, lovable look to start with? They're suing for $100 million. That number yeah. seems out of this world. Yeah, I'm dying to see how they're going to prove that up. You know, that's another unfortunate trend in litigation these days to just attach some enormous number at the end of the lawsuit. You know, you set out everything that you're complaining of, and then the, at the end of the lawsuit, in the papers, you say, accordingly, plaintiff seeks $100 million in damages plus attorney's fees and costs. It's just unfortunate. It's done to get media attention. The media will go, well, this must be an important lawsuit if there's $100 million on the line. <laughs> The reality is that um, even if there's a copyright infringement found, the best they can hope for is some percentage of the royalties that Mr. Sheeran has enjoyed from the copyright that he had in the song. And I don't know what that number would be. It may still be a, a large number in the sense that it's seven figures. If you recall the Blurred Lines case of a couple of years ago, they similarly asked for a large number and ended up uh, receiving $5.4 million, I believe, was the final, around $5 million, which was, you know, by orders of magnitude smaller than what they'd been asking for. We've talked about, since Blurred Lines, really, about the increasingly litigious music industry. And I know this trial was put off until the Ninth Circuit came out with the Stairway to Heaven decision. Are lawyers watching this case not only because of Ed Sheeran, but because of what law may be made? 
So copyright lawyers, music lawyers, academics are following this case very closely. There has been over the last decade or so a trend in copyright infringement of songs that really started with the Blurred Lines case. In that case, some interesting decisions by the district court and a curious jury decision ended up in a finding that Robin Thicke and Farrell had infringed Marvin Gaye's song. It went up on appeal on the Ninth Circuit, and the appellate court struggled and really came up with a disjointed opinion that, at the end of the day, affirmed the jury award, which set off a feeding frenzy amongst plaintiff's lawyers bringing lawsuits such as this one against Ed Sheeran. A couple of years later, there was, as part of that feeding frenzy, a lawsuit brought against the group Led Zeppelin over their Stairway to Heaven song, uh, making many of the same sort of allegations as in the Blurred Lines case and premised on the same sort of legal argument. That case went up to the Ninth Circuit in, in front of a different panel of three judges who seemed to understand or at least have a better understanding of copyright law in the field of music and being more cohesive in their views, came out with a very important decision in which they said that there are some elements in music that are so commonplace that they need to be virtually identical to constitute infringement. So in general, copyright infringement can be proved by just substantial similarity, not identical works, just substantial similarity is good enough. So here the Ninth Circuit in a landmark case was saying that well, not always in the field of music. We're not going to give out monopolies over notes or chord progressions or riffs. We're going to say that these are building blocks of all songs. And in order for there to be copyright infringement, you're going to have to have virtually identical treatment. So the substantial similarity rubric went out the door. Judge Stanton, I mean, this case was filed way back in 2017. Judge Stanton, at some point, had it called to his attention that this Led Zeppelin case was up on appeal to the Ninth Circuit, and he deliberately postponed the trial in the Ed Sheeran lawsuit to see what the Ninth Circuit would do. And he, he said this, I want to see how they handle it because it will be informative here. And then the pandemic hit. And as you know, Ed Sheeran literally could not get across the Atlantic he was quarantined in Britain for the longest time, and that's why it's taken six years to get this to trial. There was that delay for the Led Zeppelin case and the pandemic. We're finally at trial, and Judge Stanton said that that Led Zeppelin case was very informative in how he's going to handle this case. So now we come to the current time, and the, and the question that lawyers and academics and musicologists are following is this. Is he going to, in this instance, hold the plaintiff, Townsend's heirs, you're going to hold them to that standard set out by the Ninth Circuit that there has to be virtual identity of the taken elements of the song. And we're going to have to see. The general wisdom out there in my field is that we've seen the pendulum swing, that it swung way far one way during the Board of Lines case, and it's now swung back with the Led Zeppelin decision. And the question is, is that pendulum going to now swing back towards blurred line, someplace middle, or stay out there where the Led Zeppelin de decision has it? And that's why this is an important case. It's the first real opportunity to see what that Led Zeppelin decision means in practical terms of a real trial. Sharon took the stand last April involving another one of his hits, the 2017 Shape of You, and a judge ruled in his favor and awarded him more than $1.1 million. He settled a lawsuit over another one of his hits for $20 million in 2017 over the hit Photograph. He's being sued a lot. 
several things that are going on here. First, planes don't sue over copyright infringement against someone who's not a successful artist, writer, filmmaker. There's no money to be had. So the fact that you're as a successful singer-songwriter, Zed Sheeran, sets you up as a target in the first place. Second thing that's going on here is that early in his career, there were a couple charges of copyright infringement alleged to him. And in retrospect, he arguably should not have settled them. You start settling them, you go to the top of the target list. You may be on the target list for being successful and having a lot of money, but you go to the top of that target list when it becomes known in the plaintiff community that you're not going to fight. You're going to settle and pay out because that's what they want. The plaintiffs don't want a trial. They don't want a lengthy legal dispute. They just want the payout. And if you're that kind of artist who's going to settle over and over again, you're going to go to the top of the target list. The third thing that's going on, though, is just the nature of the sort of pop music that Ed Sheeran writes and performs, as I said before. Within his sort of wing of the pop music genre, there's a limit a very finite limit on the number of chord progressions you can use. And you could probably take apart almost any current top 20 pop chart song and find chord progressions used by a recording artist 20 years ago, if you wanted to. And so it's not any one thing. They're not picking on Ed Sheeran. And I don't think you can draw the conclusion that somehow he's a copyright infringer from all this. It's just a set of circumstances that have landed him into multiple lawsuits. And he has finally apparently taken the advice of some of his smarter consigliaries and and started to fight these. So as you said last year, he fought the shape of you copyright infringement charges and won. Now, I will emphasize here, that lawsuit was brought in the United Kingdom. It was brought under the UK's copyright law, which does have some differences from American copyright law. And it was decided by a judge. And the fact that there were attorney's fees awarded... It was not a reflection on the quality or the merits of the plaintiff's lawsuit. In Britain, unlike the United States, if you lose, you pay the other guy's attorney's fees no matter what. Even if you had the, the best darn suit in the world and you just happened to lose on some technicality, you're stuck with the other guy's legal fees. Thanks so much, Terry. That's intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 